0: Yesterday was a a fun day for our family. We were able to spend the day with the Branhams, the family that lives in Southeast Asia that was here on Sunday that joined our church, and we were able to spend the day with them, and we went to Six Flags, and uh, that was a great time to see their kids riding all those rides. It was just a fantastic experience, and one of the things that happened during the day is uh, every ride that we went to, I, I, I just became aware of the fact. That every single ride had all these pictures somewhere posted where you were supposed to be able to see them that were warnings about who shouldn't ride it, why you shouldn't ride it. I mean, pretty much it narrowed it down to where very few people, I mean, Olympic athletes could ride the ride. I mean, if you had anything wrong with you, they were suggesting that you reconsider riding the ride. Have you seen those warning signs before? And then before the ride, they go through stuff and they say things like, if this is this and you need to keep these things in the cart and all this kind of stuff, they go through a series of warnings there. And you know, after you spend an entire day there, towards the end of the day, it's just, you don't even see that stuff. You don't even notice that. It's like, it's not even there. You're just going through the motions until something happens. Now, Madeline and I, were going to ride the Titan. Are you familiar with this roller coaster? 24 stories high, 85 miles per hour. It's it's like death on wheels. I mean, it's it's horrible. It's brutal. And so we chose to do that because we like self self-torture. And so we're in line for the Titan, and we get up there and we get in the roller coaster car. We are, we are ready to go. And then the lady over the loudspeaker, she says, Where is the car? And I'm like, what is she talking about? Where is the car? And then she says, if you can hear me, wave. And I'm like, what is she doing? And I look out underneath the deal, and on the top of the hill, the roller coaster is stuck. And so Mayla and I, we're strapped in. You can't get out. And if you're claustrophobic at that point, you're freaking. I mean, you're like wanting to bust out of that roller coaster because you don't want to be those people there. And I lean over to Mayla, and I said, I wish we were up there. That would be so cool. She looks at me like, you are crazy. You know, and so and so. Here's what I discovered in that moment. All of a sudden, everybody on that platform is paying attention to everything that's being said by that person in the microphone. We're listening to every warning. We're listening to. Every... In fact, some people on the roller coaster that we're on, they're like, "We want out now!" And <laughs> they release the deal, and people leave, and they're like, "I'm done with this. No more chances." You know, and and so all of a sudden, that moment. When somebody's stuck 24 stories high and just waving like, when are we going to get out of this? You're listening to everything and you're waiting to hear what's said. I think that's interesting. I was thinking about this morning and I've been praying that this morning for us would be like we're stuck on that roller coaster 24 stories high and all of a sudden we're paying more attention than perhaps we've ever paid before that God's Spirit would enable us this morning to not miss what He says. That life wouldn't be happening at a pace that we just overlook the warnings that God has placed all around us in His Word. That we would be on alert and we pay attention. And we're looking into Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, when are you going to come and what's going to be going on when you going to come. And Jesus' answer has a lot more to do with how we are to live whenever he comes, no matter what's going on. And we've started looking through a series of stories that Jesus has been telling to give the disciples this answer to their question, a question that every one of us have interest in. When are you coming? What is it going to be like when you return? And here we're going to look at the last major story and then the final section of Jesus' answer. And Jesus tells this story. He says, it is like... And he's referring to the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this guy who's going to be traveling abroad. And what he does there in Matthew 25, 14, he says, This guy gathers in three of his servants and he gives to those servants his possessions. To one of the servants he gives five talents. What's a talent? Talent is a measurement, a weight measurement. And uh, they would measure out precious metals which would then be summed a, a, an amount of money. And so five talents, being on the medal, could be somewhere around 20 years worth of salary. That's a lot of possessions. He entrusts to this one servant. He gives him five talents. To another servant, he gives two talents. And to the final servant, he gives one talent. And Jesus says, this man gave these talents according to the ability of each of the servants. So so the the master here gives five talents to one because this guy can handle this amount of stuff. And And he gives it accordingly, what he believes they can handle. And then the master goes off on his journey. Meanwhile, the servant who received the five talents immediately gets to work and he puts those talents to into business trading. And he gets after it working hard and he ends up turning those five talents into five more talents. Incredible return on the investment, I'd say. He works hard and he produces a great deal of return for his master. The the servant who received two talents, he does the same. He works hard, he puts it into work and he makes two talents from the two talents he was given. So he doubles the amount that he was given by his master. The third servant, however, he took that one talent that his master entrusted him with, and he dug a hole in the ground, and he put that amount of money into the ground, covered it up, and he went and lived his life however he wanted to live it doing absolutely nothing for his master. I mean, all he did for his master is dig a hole and cover that hole back up. And then he went out and spent the rest of his life waiting for the master doing whatever he wanted to do without any concern for the master's possessions. And a long time passes, and the master returns. And he seeks to settle accounts with these three servants to whom he entrusted all his possessions. And he calls the one servant that he gave five talents to, and that servant comes and he says, Master, you gave me five talents. And see, I have gained five more. I want you to notice what the master says to him. He says to him, Well done, my good Faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. And now I will put you in charge of much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that interesting? He gives him more responsibility. He was faithful with what he has given. And his reward is... You get to have more to be responsible for and you get to enjoy my provision. You get to have joy that comes with my stuff because you've been faithful with what I've given you. Interesting. The servant was faithful with what he was given and he was given more and with that more came great joy as a reward. Then the servant who had had the two talents, he came and said, Master, you gave me two talents. And look, I have gained two more. And the master looks at that servant and says to that servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, and now I place you over much. Enter into my joy. Again, he responds to that servant by giving him reward of more opportunity for responsibility, and with that comes great joy. And then the third servant comes, and the third servant says, he, He's pretty, pretty interesting, this third servant. He says, Lord, knowing that you were a hard man, you reaped where you didn't sow, you gathered where you did not scatter seed, and since I was afraid, I went and hid your talent in the ground. But look, here's what belongs to you. Don't you find that interesting? That... This servant says, I know what kind of man you are. And then he says, so I went and did something that doesn't reflect the kind of man you are. You see, he says, I know that you're the kind of man that expects a return with the least amount of effort possible. I know you're the kind of man that expects something to come back from what he does in a way that far outweighs what he does. And so I was afraid of you. And I went and just hid that money in the ground. But, but look, at least you got what you gave me. And the master says to that servant, you evil and lazy servant, you knew that I reap. Where I did not sow, that I gather, where I did not scatter. Therefore, you knew that you should have just taken my money, put it in the bank, where I could come back and get it with interest. It's like the master said to the guy, You knew what kind of guy I was, and you did not do anything that reflected who I am. You chose to live for yourself. You did nothing for me. Anything would have been better than nothing. You could have taken my money, put it in the bank. At least I would have gotten interest. But you didn't do anything that reflects who you say that you know I am. That's why you are wicked and lazy. You say you knew who I was. But nothing in your life showed it. And look what the master says to servant. Therefore take his talent and give it to the one who has ten talents. For the one having much more will be given and he will have an abundance. And the one not having what he has will be taken from him cast that useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. That servant believed that he could live his life any way he wanted to live it with no respect for his master and it would be okay. I mean, that's the only way you can explain the audacity of that servant to come to his master and say, I knew who you were, but, but, but I just went and buried it. And here, at least you've got your stuff, your stuff back. He says, you've missed it. You cannot live for yourself when you're supposed to be living for me and not be called to an account. You see, it didn't work out too good for the servant. Choose to live any way he wanted to live when his master called to him account for the way he had lived. Didn't work out too good. And Jesus tells this story so that we might see a gracious warning and an incredible promise. You see, Jesus tells these series of stories because he is again emphasizing not so much about when he comes or what it's going to be like when he comes, but so that we'll live a particular way. And the way Jesus is encouraging us to live through this story is you need to know who I am, you need to understand who I am, and you need to live in a way that reflects you know that. Because if you live in a way that reflects that you don't know me, you will not be ready for my return. And the way Jesus tells this story, the one who did not live in a way that reflected his master, things did not go well at all. Horrible. Awful. Outcome. So Jesus gives this warning. If you don't live in a way that reflects who I am, no matter what you say about me, it will not be good for you when I return judgment. You see, Jesus warning judgment. And it's so gracious that he warns of judgment to us in a time in our lives when we can respond to who he is. We are not in the story. The story is told so that we might live out a life of responding to the warning and embracing the promise. You see, the Master is gives a reward to those servants who are faithful. You know what Jesus has just done? He's just promised you and I reward for faithfulness. If we will live our lives in a way that reflects who He is because we believe in Christ, then we will receive a reward from Him that will bring into our lives incredible opportunity and responsibility in eternity and incredible joy. The joy of the King. And Jesus wants us to respond to this story by by deciding that we will let our lives, we will seek to make sure our lives are driven more and more by who Christ is and less and less by anything else. So that everything that Christ is is reflected in the way we live. Listen, if you want to be ready for Christ's return, then ask yourself the question, Is my life increasingly reflecting who Jesus Christ is in everything I do? Or does it look like that I have taken what I know about God and Jesus, dug a hole, put it in that hole, buried it, and I hope that someday when Christ returns I can say, Hey, I knew what kind of person you were but I really wanted to live my own way. You just bury it away and live a life that doesn't reflect who Christ is at all. If if you want to evaluate your readiness, who do you reflect? Jesus Christ or you? There's only one way to be ready. It's to live a life that reflects Christ. That's it. A couple days ago, I was sitting down with a man at breakfast. And he was telling me about how years ago he had lost his marriage. And uh, he did not want to experience a divorce But uh, he he couldn't really stop what was happening. He felt like it. It just happened. It was incredible as he conveyed to me that uh, in many respects he felt like he was a failure because he'd lost his marriage. And this is years ago. And he said to me, he said, Kevin, if I knew then What I know now, I may not have lost my marriage. He said, You see, back then I gave up far too easily. He goes, And I gave up too easily because I did not fear the Lord. He said, What I know now of God and who He is, it would have changed the way I live. He says, I would have fought harder, I would have been a better husband. I would have done more things to try to save it because he said to me, Kevin, as I understand who God is, I've understood more than ever before that my life needs to reflect my fear of God. As I sat there listening to this man, I thought to myself, this man is ready for Christ's return because he fears God, not a bad kind of fear of being afraid, but a fear that's reverence and awe, a willingness to follow Christ no matter what. As I listened to this man talk, it totally marked my life, and I thought to myself, I want to be ready like that man. It doesn't hurt when that man's your father. And you see a fear of God in Him that makes you want to follow Christ. And I'm just asking you the question, don't you want to be ready to? Because God has entrusted you with everything you have. And the way you live your life now has everything to do with your eternity. Are you ready? And as if we needed more reason to get ready, Jesus Christ finishes his answer to the apostles with a dramatic picture. I mean, this is Matthew's last recorded teaching of Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ heads to the cross. These words are intended to impress our hearts deeply. And Jesus begins this last section with this incredible promise. He says, when the son of man when the son of man returns, when he comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit upon the throne of glory. And he will and all nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from each other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We have this incredible promise that Jesus Christ is going to return. And then Jesus gives this little analogy. He says, What's going to happen when I return? It's going to be kind of like a shepherd who's separating his livestock. And there's going to be a distinction between the two groups that is as distinct as a sheep is from a goat. He says, those on my right hand will be the sheep, those that on my left hand will be the goats. And to those on the right, the sheep, Jesus says that the shepherd, the king, will say, that he will say, you are blessed of my father. Come and inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the right, he says, eternal life is my gift to you. To those on the left, he says, you accursed ones. You need to come into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. To those on the left, he says, eternal suffering is what you have earned for yourselves. Those on the right, those on the left. The sheep and the goats. Now, what's interesting is both groups are surprised. Both groups are a little bit shocked about what Jesus says is his reason for placing some on the right, some on the left. They're both really surprised at what Jesus has done. Let's read through that together. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit which has been prepared, the kingdom which has been prepared from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Here's the surprise. Then the righteous ones will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to see you? And the king answering will say to them, truly I say to you that what you did to the least of these my brothers, you did to me. And that's shocking. Jesus says to those on the right, enter into the kingdom, which is prepared for you from the foundation of the world, inherit this for you, this gift for you. And by the way, let me tell you why you're on the right. Because you are kind and compassionate and generous to the needy. What? What? Yeah, you, you did this for me. Well, wait a minute, w- when did we do that for you? You did it to the needy. You did it to me. Whoa. Really? That's that's why I'm on the right? Wow. And then to those on the left, he said, you need to depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, which fair for the devil and his angels. For you... For I was hungry, and you did not give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you did not give me anything to drink, I was a stranger. You did not take me in, I was naked, you did not clothe me, I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then, surprise, then they will answer and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And not minister to you. Then he'll say to them, "Truly, I say to you that what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me." And he makes this incredibly powerful statement: "These will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life." W- w- wait a minute. When did we do that to you? Because if we'd known it was you, we would have done differently. No, no, no. What you did to the least of these is what you did to me. You mean we're on the left because we did not do compassion and kindness and generosity to the needy? That's right. And those on the left? Eternal punishment. And those on the right? Eternal life. This is pretty vivid, folks. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that what you do with your life now has everything to do with eternity. Now let me clarify something. What we have seen here in Matthew 24 and 25 is a snapshot of judgment. Just a glimpse. We've not give, been given A to Z when it comes to judgment. So we see everything that Scripture teaches or what we should understand about judgment. We're just given a snapshot. And what we've been given here is a snapshot of people's faithfulness. And Jesus used the evidence of their faithfulness in this last little analogy in reference to how people treated other people in need. And those who treated those who were needy without a concern, they lived their own lives for themselves, no concern for those who had need. Jesus says, nope, you're not coming in. Now what is Jesus conveying here? Well, through the series of stories, you can see that Jesus is using the evidence of one's faith through, pictured through their faithfulness to show whether or not they were ready. And so you have the homeowner who Jesus said, if the homeowner had known when the thief was going to come, the homeowner would have done everything to keep the thief from coming. In other words, if the homeowner knows the thief is coming and believes that the thief is coming, the homeowner is going to do something to keep that thief from coming. His actions we're going to be evidence of his faith. His faithfulness is his readiness, and his readiness is moved by what he believes. It's the same thing with the slave and the master. The slave, if he believes his master is going to return and call him to account, if he believes that, he cares about that, he's going to live in a way that reflects that. And he's going to live in the way that his master's possessions are taken care of. His master comes home and it gives him a great reward. The, The slave who does not believe and does not care about his master, his unfaithfulness is evidenced by what he does and reflects what he does not believe or does not care about. And let me just tell you, apathy... And unfaithfulness or unbelief are the same things. You you can say, I don't care or I don't believe. It's the same thing. If a servant does not believe or does not care, the outcome is the same. And what Jesus Christ has done, he's told a series of stories to help us see that readiness for his return is faithfulness that is moved by our faith. What we believe actually is revealed in what we do. And so our our readiness for his return is evidenced through our faithfulness, which is motivated by our faith. What that means for you and I is that everything you do in this life has everything to do with the eternal, eternal life. Has Jesus Christ forgiven you? then you should be forgiving towards others. See, that's faithfulness. As Jesus Christ demonstrated compassion to you, then you should demonstrate compassion to others. That's faithfulness. As Jesus Christ poured out His spiritual riches upon you, then you should use all the means you have from Christ. Material things, spiritual things, intellectual things... All your everything you have to help others come to Christ. That's faithfulness. A life that is moved by faith, demonstrating faithfulness, giving evidence of readiness. Because the only way to be ready for Christ's return is to live in faith in Christ in a way that demonstrates faithfulness. Because listen, ready or not, Christ is coming. Whether you're ready or or not, Jesus Christ is going to return. Man, what are you, let's, I want to go play hide and go seek or something. Yeah. You, you know, when we were little kids, we played hide and go seek in the, uh, in the sanctuary. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's, that's that. Yeah, that's let's a good idea. Let's do that. All right, all right. You, you go hide, and I'll start counting. That no sounds good, dude. do it like that. That, that Sounds, sounds good. good? All right. One, ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Ready or not, here I come. Man, DJ, what in the world are you doing? What do you mean what am I doing? What are you, what are you doing? You said we were going to play hide and go seek. Why aren't you ready? You're supposed to be ready. Dude, I got an important text. I got distracted. Okay? Some dude just texted me and said, uh, the world's going to end. Dude, I don't care about your text. We're playing hide-and-go-seek. You said you were going to be ready. Why aren't you ready? Well, no, no, no. What you said was ready or not. I just chose not. So get over it. I'm not going to get over it. I tagged you. You're it. Okay, okay, you dude. Need to all right, all right. So I'll count now. Make you happy. We'll play hide-and-go-seek. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you ready? Okay. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Tag, you're it. <laughs> DJ! That was too fast, man. Hey, I didn't have chance fast. to get dude, ready. You said ready Or not, I was ready, you're not, tag, you're it, I'll go hide. Alright, but you better be ready this time, because this game's no fun if you're not ready. Dude, I'm ready, yeah, okay. Ready or not, Jesus is coming back, and when he returns, it will be no game. Amen. that so concerns my heart for your life, for my life. When the Son of Man returns, will He find faith? Will you be ready? The decision to place your faith in Christ is the most demanding decision you will ever make. And if you have not felt faith's demands, You have not yet believed in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ returns, He will separate us. And the only words you want to hear is, come, you who are blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. faithfulness, readiness. Making sure your life is driven by Christ and Christ alone. That is the only way to wait for the returning king. Ready or not, he's coming.